Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz, uh, Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company as we kick off the PM. And so there's a real spring in the step of the markets, I think, now in the last half hour or so with the uh, national accounts figures coming out. Showing what a 3.2% rebound in economic growth for the September quarter, way above what anyone was expecting. So uh, certainly the V-shaped recovery is uh, coming through for the economy. So hopefully that's good news for investors, good news for stocks and profits going through. So uh, for their take, uh, let's welcome our expert panel, uh, Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Michael, good to see you. It's good to be back. Uh, Claude Walker from A Rich Life um, coming to us from Canberra. Claude, how are you? Uh, Well, thanks. Thanks for Uh, having me on. How are you? What do you think of the national accounts figures? uh, That was a pretty impressive rebound, wasn't it? I haven't managed to look at the detail yet, but that that top line number has uh, shocked everyone. I'm not across the detail myself, but I, I definitely think that Australia is benefiting from uh, the dual combination of uh, really good uh, fiscal stimulus to support people in lockdown or in difficulty because of the pandemic, but then also actually um, achieving virtually zero spread, which allows people to go, go out there and, and be active. So, um, yeah, I think you have a quicker re- rebound if you manage the situation as we have done in Australia. So it's really positive yeah. for us. Uh, Michael, how, how the markets take this, do you reckon? It's it's a strong signal, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, it's hard to keep the market down at the moment. So yeah. even if there was probably bad news, I'm not sure it wouldn't have much of a difference. But this certainly just adds more fuel to the fire. And as we lead into Christmas, typically or historically a pretty good time of year, yep. um, I think we can probably have some good momentum still. But it's hard when the market's had its best month ever in November uh, to look at the market where it stands and look to pile money in at these levels. Yeah. You kind of want to be investing when there's been a bit of weakness, but you're just not getting those opportunities at the moment. And if you sit on your hands for too long, you look back at a week later or two weeks later <laughs> and all of a sudden you're, you're behind five, 10%. So, yeah. so I think you've got to sort of take into account there's an enormous amount of stimulus in the system. Um, you know, credit standards are starting to be relaxed as well. The global economy in patches is performing fairly well, recovering quickly. So. 2021 looks to be a good year, but it always does concern me when everyone's on one side of the fence. Everyone's feeling pretty optimistic at the moment. So yep. that does make me think twice about chasing the markets yeah. higher from here. Well, uh, funnily enough, because Reserve Bank yesterday, uh, minutes coming out saying, straight are travelling really well. Yeah. That's great news. Um, national accounts come out. Uh, market travelling okay this morning, up 20, yeah. 30 points. Uh, at exactly 11.30, when that good news on the national accounts came in, it started to fall uh, and dropped 30 yeah. points on the, yeah. on the announcement of, of good economic news. It's probably one of those things where good news is bad news and that there'll probably be less stimulus. The, the RBA might be more reluctant to stimulate even further, whether that's right. through their bond buying programs or even further rate cuts. So potentially the market sees that as being right. a negative where we get withdrawal of stimulus from the system quicker or sooner than many had hoped. Right. And that okay. could be the reasoning. Oh, that'll but be interesting. Trying to predict these day to day, moment by moment moves is very difficult. Too hard, yeah. is that? And, and for a normal investor, that's, that's right. not what, what we do I'm in for the longer term. All right, let's take a look, kick off with our stock of the day. Uh, Oceana Gold Corporation um, is the, uh, the stock we're looking at as it announced it receives permit, permits for the gold point underground mine, Deep Dell North Stage, uh, the open pit extension and the Fraser's West expansion will allow the company to proceed with the development of new and extended open pit and underground mining opportunities at McRae's. Our President and Chief Executive says they're pleased to develop three deposits that are critical opportunities to achieve the mine life extension uh, of McRae's 
through to 2028. Um, Claude, um, what do you think of Oceania Gold and the, and the news that's come out for them? I think that um, for the people that do like to invest in mining companies, gold mining companies in particular, this could be an interesting one. Obviously, this is uh, good news and given the share price a little bit of momentum today. On top of that, you've had recent director buying. They've already raised capital to uh, fund expansion. And I think really the positive that comes out of today's announcement is that um, if they get this project up and running, they believe that uh, it will provide gold at lower all-in sustaining costs, which of course reduces risk in the company because the lower that sustaining cost is, the more likely that the company will remain profitable even in a scenario where the gold price goes down. So that reduces just the risk of holding holding the stock. Having said that, of course, um, there's a lot that can go wrong in a big expansion project. You know, the, the mine can be less profitable than hoped. It can cost more to get up and running than hoped. There can be delays um, for all manner of reasons. So there's still a fair bit of risk in there. And it does seem a little bit um, optimistic to me that they said that uh, they think the new operation will generate significant free cash flow in 2021 and beyond. So if they fall short of that, you know, you have a situation if the uh, expectations are quite high and then the company can't execute on that, then you usually get a a bad share price response. Um, Generally speaking, gold miners aren't something that I invest in, so I'd steer clear of it. But this one sort of seems seems okay for that category. Uh, what do you think, Michael? Well, the announcement's ostensibly good news, right? They yeah. have a chance to extend their mine life, but it's all in the execution, all in the delivery, and time will tell with regards to that. Um, we have been investors in gold mines just for sort of a, a bit of a trade, a bit of diversification in the portfolio, and we tend to go for those that are in a steady state, if you like, um, of production, generating good margins. So our preferences have been for Northern Star Saracens. Um, We have actually been exiting those over the last sort of couple of months um, as the global economy seems to be bouncing back. um, And as we have a vaccine, we think that the likelihood of bond yields traveling further in the short to medium term are less likely. And that's probably gonna have a bit of a a weight um, or be a bit of an albatross around the gold prices neck. But we prefer Australian based gold miners um, that produce in Australian dollars, sell in US dollars, that way they benefit from currency factors. Uh, often the, the geographical risk is less as well when you're operating in Australia. But looking at Oceania Gold, it's had a pretty torrid time over five years, a period where if you look at most charts for most decent quality gold miners that performed unbelievably well. So, But it's halved in price since August. That's now, right. I, I know there's been a pullback in the gold yeah. price. But other gold miners have not pulled back nearly as far. That's right. No, and that's and that enormous run-ups, far bigger yeah. run-ups than that, and they haven't pulled back nearly as much. So, I think if you are looking to invest in a gold company, there might be some value here to be unlocked. But I think you're also overcomplicating your exposure in many right. ways because we do have a number of good quality gold producers in this country. Okay, so you go Northern Northern Star, Star Saracen, Evolution Mining, I think stick right. to those three. Okay. Um, they've got good grades, good mine lives, um, low cost of production in the case of Evolution, the lowest cost of production. So I think that if you want some just general exposure to gold, take the easier option in that right. case and avoid Oceania. Okay, all right. Let's uh, take a look at the first stock that um, you, our viewers, have sent in. and. Um, uh, Michael Callum wants a view on corporate travel management. Um, one of the, the travel stocks, uh, as the name suggests, focuses on, on travel for corporates and big company customers. Um, really seen as a good rebound stock for when uh, borders and travel reopens. But it's been caught in a bit of a, uh, a sell-off since the annual meeting, uh, where yeah. their guidance wasn't what investors expect. Yeah, not as optimistic as no. potentially people were hoping for given the, some of the good news that we've had in, in recent weeks. Um, corporate travel management has been a, a star performer really for a long time. Um, it's been around since the 80s, um, had a very strong balance sheet, came under attack a few years ago from VGI partners, a bit of a, a short attack there. Um, and that was really in regards to the recognition of some of their cash receipts versus their credit receipts and some of the lumpiness it creates in their cash flow. They seem to have regathered confidence of the market, if you like, after that short report were going along quite nicely. Then obviously COVID came along and through that whole travel sector, whether it's recreational travel or corporate travel into a lot of uncertainty. 
Um, but corporate travel has been doing some good things overseas now for, for a long time, increasing the market share in, in Europe and the US. Um, they rely mainly though still on domestic travel in Australia. So you would think with the lifting of borders across the country, that should be a, a yeah. broad positive for them uh, and the outlook should improve for that reason. So there is definitely a lot to like about this company, whether it's the best turnaround play in terms of that travel space. You've got a few options, don't you? You've got the airports for more conservative approach yeah. and then you've got sort of the web jets, the flight centers, corporate travels of this world for a slightly more risky take on it. Um, we don't own corporate travel. Would I be buying it here? Probably not. I'd probably stick to yep. Auckland International Airports, even Sydney Airports, maybe even a Webjet if I wanted to go a more riskier option right. um, because of that update the other day in the AGM. Management yep. aren't yet banking the turnaround and there's yep. still a bit of uncertainty to come. Okay. Um, Claude, what do you think of uh, corporate travel? Well, I agree with Michael's conclusion, but I have a slightly different take on it. If you look at that five-year uh, share price, you can actually see the peak in 2018, which was when the short report came out. So I categorically disagree that it's sort of recovered from the short report. I, it's never recovered the price it was previous to the short report. What it has done is recovered almost to the price it was prior to the pandemic. Um, so if we just look, if we ignore the earnings that have been impacted by COVID, their peak earnings were still... Um, if if we assume that they're going to return to their peak earnings, then it's still trading on um, a P/E ratio of around 30. Now, um, that short res report exposed a lot of things that um, weren't, you know, a smoking gun, but weren't great either. For example, you know, there are a lot of claims uh, that were a little bit like too bullish compared to the actual reality. So I'm not really sure that corporate travel management deserves the accolades that many of its shareholders give it that sort of class it as a really high quality growth stock it seems a little bit um x growth to me and i think it's going to have a, a harder time growing in a world that has seen just how much business travel simply isn't necessary so um yeah look um, i don't think it's the worst stock out there i certainly think you know i don't think it was as bad as um it might have been when that short report came out but to me this one will struggle to ever really uh, recapture its darling status and, and perhaps that's rightly so we have to keep in mind of course it did a lot of acquisitions to grow generally speaking organic growth is the kind of growth that really powers on for many years and, and creates compounders acquisition growth can be a bit growth can be a little bit more up and down and the more you do it the more chance that you make a bad acquisition and then mm. that hurts returns so yeah, for me, same conclusion as Michael. I'd, I'd probably avoid it, but yep. um, I have a, I think, an overall more negative view. Okay. All right. Uh, Will wants a view, Claude, on the BetaShares India Quality ETF. Uh, so I'm a big fan of um, just generally like the the BetaShares ETFs to give you exposure to a certain theme. So I'm guessing that Will is interested in somehow. Um, pitching his wagon to, I guess, you know, economic growth in India, which totally makes sense. Uh, I can totally understand why someone would want to do that. However, I definitely never do that uh, kind of thing. I just have a general rule. I, I'm very strict. I don't invest in uh, countries that have weak rule of law or anything that could be, um, you know, thought of as uh, unfair treatment of different companies based on their political alignment and the interests of the leaders and all that kind of thing. Oh. And, and, you know, so it's a, it's well, a bit of a so, sovereign risk. Yeah, exactly. It's well documented that there are sovereign risks in India, perhaps not as bad as some other places, but still still for me, it's just an X factor that I really find very difficult um, to, to judge. And, you know, I also looked in, you know, I actually think the construction of this ETF makes sense. It's gone for quality, bigger companies, profitable companies, low leverage, high earning stability, and its management costs aren't too dear at um, just under 1%. Having said that, you know, it really is just a tool to express a view on a certain market. And it, it probably is apt for that, but it's definitely not something that I'd invest in. Okay. Michael? Um, look, it's obviously a good way to get exposure to India, uh, if yeah. that's what you're looking for. Um, often India gets sort of lumped together with all emerging market ETFs. And if you actually look at the breakdown of those emerging market ETFs, India might get a token 5 or 10%, right. when really it's going to be the fourth biggest economy in the world in a couple of years yeah. um, so it's a growth market a democracy that many people want to get exposure to obviously there are the 
the issues that they've had um, with, uh, yeah. with things like corruption, but they're looking to get on top of that. They're looking to become a more mature market. They're looking to introduce things like GST, uh, monetization. They're looking to move away from sort of one person operated stores to sort of communal retailing. So yeah. they are moving in the right direction and I can understand why people would want that exposure. Um, so this is definitely a, an option if you want yeah. India, pure India exposure. But would so I be picking that up? Probably not. I'll probably look yeah. to still get emerging market ETFs where some India is included, just so you can spread out some of that risk because it'll be a very volatile market, but you could be compensated with some good growth. Yeah. See, the funny thing is that India, all the banks have yeah. tri tried to go India and always the theme is it's the new China. Yeah. You know, it is going to be a superpower. It's going to be the fourth biggest economy. But it never actually seems to pull it off, well, does it? And it, I think it goes to Claude's point as well. It is just the system, the corruption, and the, and almost how it's built into the culture of yeah. how you overcome that. That is, it, it's never, I don't think, ever delivered for an Australian company. Look, it's obviously a very complex market, yeah. um, very different to what many Western economies would be used to dealing with. So that takes a lot of learning from a marketing perspective. There's a lot of yeah. cash transactions versus credit. Yep. Um, the fact that it is a democracy, although it's a, a good thing in some sense, can actually be a, a negative as well in that you can't just send in like they can in China and, and decide, oh, look, we're going to take this part and, and develop this into yep. a commercial or, or we're going to develop this into high rise. There's actually a bit of a process that's involved and there's different yep. states and stuff within India as well, which makes things a little bit more complex to go with the it's a, corruption. It's a pretty clunky democracy. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, Matt wants a view, uh, Michael, on Vista Group. This is uh, a company in the film industry software business. They um, have a cinema management software package and basically the real specialty um, is in software as a service for cinema and filmmaking. And the last week or two, they bought um, uh, bought out their partner in the uh, the Max International Group for about a million pounds. Uh, Max designs and develops film distribution software for studios and distributors. Um, what do you think of Vista Group? I'd never heard of it oh. before, I, I must admit. And, and you would naturally think that during this recent pandemic, this is the type of company that would get hit the hardest given the impact on the cinema industry. Uh, basically, it's a, a portal or a platform that these cinemas can help to use to manage the cinema. Um, yeah, um, it's, as, a, as a business. Uh, as a business. Well, yeah. So you could think that, look, potentially this is a, a value turnaround story if we do start to see things return to normal uh, throughout the economy and cinemas return to their, their heady days. Oh, I mean, like the days of head cinemas being, you know, the, the, the go-to entertainment destination for yeah. people are long gone. So it's probably yeah. structurally challenged at the best of times. Um, but if you wanted a deep turnaround story, potentially this is one as cinemas start to reopen. But you would think that there'll be changed habits, uh, there'll be limitations to the number of people that can sit within the cinema at a certain time. For, and those regulations will probably remain in place or those guidelines will remain in place for some time to come. Uh, the balance sheet actually looked all right leading up to, to the COVID situation. The revenue growth was strong. Uh, their margins and those things look quite attractive as well. However, I did notice there was a fairly big jump up in debt recently right. uh, and their cash flow has turned or free cash flow has turned negative and they're probably not two signs that you ever want to see in a business and, and worth further investigating. So before right. I invested in this company, I'd have to get to the bottom of what's driving yep. that. Uh, but at this stage, I haven't done enough yep. work. On and it that. looks pretty liquid too. That's the awesome. other thing. Yeah. Uh, Claude, what, what do you think? And um, um, how will cinemas come out of this? Sort of, uh, cinemas have always been under threat by TV and streaming services, but still managed to go well. But after COVID, sort of all the good, or during COVID, all the good movies <laughs> came on streaming, didn't they? And everyone quite liked it. Yeah, I think that probably, like many things, COVID will have accelerated the move away from uh, high cinema attendance. However, we have had um, a very considerable headwind against cinema for really a long time. And it's shown itself very resilient because it's part of our culture to mm. go out, um, get dinner, go and see a movie. It's part of dating. It's part of what you do um, with the kids for, for a fun outing. It's what you do on a hot day to get away from the searing Australian sun. 
Uh, so I think that cinema will recover, like, you know, largely. It'll probably go on its sort of general long-term um, headwind situation that it's had for, for decades now. But I think it's still very resilient as it's ingrained in our culture. And actually, it was music to my ears to um, hear some of Michael's concerns with it uh, because I'm actually an investor in Vista Group and I actually just bought shares in it last week. And basically, uh, for me, the thesis is that uh, the, the the narrative around this company has been so bad now for you know a year or more because what happened even before COVID was that they basically faced up to the fact that their software, which the cinemas actually use to allocate seating and to do marketing, stuff like that, parts of that weren't cloud-based and really needed a refresh. So I've sort of known that this um, period of higher investment in um, product was going to come for a while. Yeah. I was actually... Yeah hoping it wouldn't come so soon, but it's it's come now and that has put that free cash flow in a, in a much weaker position. That's obviously combined with COVID to um, create a really difficult situation for the company just as it's reinvesting itself. It also has a bit of a hit to its market. So I'm, I've actually bought this as my recovery play because I think there are two things here. There's one, it's the COVID mm. hit that should come off. And then also it's their investment in products going to last a couple of years and then their free cash flows and stuff should start coming up. Meantime, their revenue is still like pretty good. So yeah, I think it's an interesting one and I own shares and I quite like it at at current prices. And and if the main concerns are that it's sort of not well known, then perhaps over time, uh, the doubters can come on board and and see it as an opportunity as well. Yeah, okay. All right. Good point. Um, Lee now wants a view where Claude on Propel Funeral Partners. Um, they describe themselves in the death care um, industry, which I think is quite quite named for funeral homes and crematoriums and things like that, right around Australia. Um, first quarter of this financial year had, was actually a pretty good result for them. Um, average revenue per funeral rebounded um, to $5,800 from $5,400 on the previous quarter, and, um, and cash flow is looking all right too. Yeah, so as you point out, you know, these guys have had a little bit of a uh, COVID hit because limitations on funeral size obviously limits the the spend on those funerals. So like many businesses, it will actually benefit from a return to normal. Uh, In terms of as an investment overall, you know, this is an interesting one. It's sort of always been on my watch list because it's the kind of stock that actually I did buy it in April uh, briefly. It's the kind of stock that because it's got a very resilient business model, if you buy it when you know, sentiment puts that share price down, you can be pretty comfortable that there should be a rebound because the business itself is really resilient. Obviously, you know, you can't escape uh, death and taxes. So they've got that resilient demand there. The actual business model, the growth model, it's one of those uh, roll-up models where they uh, take on debt, raise capital and buy other businesses and, and then try to get synergies and gain market share like that. That works always for a, that often works for a while. Usually, it starts coming unstuck, and the incremental returns go down. And I think you can probably see that. I guess the the weakness in the actual business model in that longer term share price. You know, it's hard it's hard for them to um, create a lot of value through this mechanism because the sellers aren't silly easy either. They get the best price they can when they sell. So overall, um, I'm a bit uninspired by the business model, but it's it's one that I look look for as a, a sort of value trade mm. if, if the multiple gets low enough. And right now, I think it's pretty fairly priced. Okay, Michael? Yeah, I tend to agree with, with a lot of that. In, in, look, first level thinking, these businesses make sense. If yeah. it's Invercare or, or this particular company, more people are dying every year. Uh, and as the population ages, a greater percentage of people are going to pass away. So it should make sense from a long-term perspective. But it just has never worked out that way. You look at Invercare or this company, and they're basically range-bound over five, ten-year period. Yeah, I was looking um, at that, and yeah. sort of only three thirty yeah. was the, the high. And it's it's performed a little bit better than Invercare in yes. that it didn't fall as much uh, during the COVID situation and has recovered probably a little bit better. Um, although it's been interesting this year, death rates were actually materially down on previous mm. years despite COVID the deaths. COVID. Yeah, uh, we didn't have a flu season, so places like Tasmania, for instance. Flus uh, and deaths were down sort of 12, 13%. That had a negative impact on these companies. So over time, I think really the only way to generate good growth is to keep bolting on acquisitions. 
Yeah. Uh, you acquire a private funeral home or, or a crematoria or something like that, incorporate it into your business model, and you can purchase it on four times earnings and you incorporate it and trades on 10 or 15 right. times earnings on the listed multiple. That's how I think you can generate right. value in the medium to longer term. Uh, it's very tough in this environment where you're only allowed a certain number of people at each funeral event. Um, it's hard to sort of start upskilling different products and, and services, etc. And that might continue for, for some time and, and weigh on the businesses for some time. So for mine, uh, it just seems like it's bounced back pretty nicely since we've got a bit more clarity on COVID. Yeah. So unless the price has been beaten up or depressed for some reason, it's probably yep. not the time to be buying it. All right, uh, let's go from death care to birth care. That's one extreme to the other, isn't it? And uh, David, uh, Michael wants a view on Baby Bunting, yep. the big uh, retail and online stores for, uh, for baby goods, uh, 80 national superstores and warehouses. Uh, around the country, 6,000 lines of products, everything from car seats to prams to, uh, to feeding uh, materials and, and toys, Manchester baby wear, anything to do with babies, baby bunting has had it and uh, has done pretty well. Yeah, it's been a, a terrific performance, not one I've ever owned yeah. um, because it's just not the type of company that, that we would look at because we don't think there's a sustainable long-term competitive advantage, change right. consumer tastes and fashions, et cetera, means that many of these companies that have their moment in the sun one day turn out to sort of become the, the second player sort of down the track. But yeah. the recent update from Baby Bunning was very good. They were one of these beneficiaries from COVID by the looks of it. Um, they saw some very strong same-store sales growth, yeah. uh, but it was mainly driven by the online space, as everyone can imagine. Uh, click and collect, deliveries, they were really the, the go-to for baby bunting during this period. Uh, the question is whether or not that demand has been pulled forward or whether it's a more sustainable thematic and trend that's going to play out. And my guess would be that it's the, the, the former, the first option that many people have probably just brought forward a lot of demand, sitting at home, improving their quality of life in one way or another. Um, right. Baby bunting has been the beneficiary of that. Um, so, so from my perspective, it's not a buy, although it has been best of breed. Uh, right. They have seen sort of a pickup in some of their costs of operations, given what's been going on with COVID, the need to clean and improve and stay on top of hygiene, etc. cetera. Um, but it's been doing the best that it can uh, in this environment and making the most of the advantage that they've been given. Okay. All right. Um, Claude Walker, reasonably new father now. This is right in your <laughs> wheelhouse. And uh, we'll, we'll lock down spark a baby boom in uh in the next year <laughs> next year or so as people have been trying to entertain themselves could that be good for baby bumping i don't know i i hope that's been their experience my experience in uh lockdown with it with a toddler wasn't so encouraging to have more children but i guess those each for their own <laughs> um, no no I've, I've loved it but uh yeah, so I don't, I don't really know about that, but I do think that uh, Baby Bunting is a pretty great brand. Um, perhaps, I mean, I, I generally agree with Michael's comments about retailer, and, and as um, probably regular viewers will know, I'm not a, I'm not a big retail investor general, generally, but uh, basically, like, I have a real appreciation for uh, why people would want a large trusted store network for buying their baby items. Like, we, I'm not a big shopper at, at malls or any of that sort of stuff, but we have gone to Baby Bunting because... Sometimes if you, if your partner, I should say, decides you need something for the baby, you, you need it sort of uh, right away. And so that's um, like encouraging for baby bunting that they've managed to do so well out of this click and collect uh, business model they have. Because, you know, quite frankly, it's quite possible we will see some of that online growth moderate or drop off as things return to normal. But... I think the click and collect thing works really well for them. And that's that's seen a more sustained increase than just the online sales. And I, I imagine that's probably good economics for their shops because they can just get more turnover through the same uh, locations with click and co collect. So I think that'll work well for them. They've also, so the business model of something, what they seem to have done, which I'll give them credit for right now anyway, is, you know, you build this brand of, of stores that are, uh, have a brand where people trust that they'll go to the stores and get good quality products, and they do have good quality products. Like they have top of the, some of the top of the range baby seats and all that sort of stuff. That brings people into the stores, and then you've built this trust in baby bunting. And now what they're doing is going to invest more in private label stuff. So that usually will able 
um, will help them to increase uh, their margins as well over time. So I can see that this is building into a decent quality business. Again, mm. we've got a few stocks that are trading around a similar 30, 30 times PE multiple, which is what these guys are on. 2.4% um, dividend yield doesn't seem overly expensive for probably one of the better retail franchises. So for me, um, it's probably like a hold or a buy, but I'll go with hold. But yeah, yeah. I quite like this one as a retailer. And uh, the other thing is that I don't think it got JobKeeper. So that so the profit numbers are probably more likely to be reflective of what happens mm. going forward. So that's okay. positive there as well. All right. Yes, it's a uh, certainly a good baby brand. And let me tell you from experience, their staff can really identify a grandparent when they come in <laughs> and steer them towards the expensive high yield products and play on your sentimentality. And that is absolutely key in that store. All right, uh, let's uh, recap the uh, the first five stocks, including our stock of the day. Uh, Oceana Gold, uh, a no from both uh, Michael and Claude. Um, Michael prefers Saracen Northern Star Evolution in that area. Uh, corporate travel, travel a no from both. Michael would steer uh, towards Auckland Airport and maybe Webjet as an alternative. A no for the uh, Beta India ETF. Uh, Vista a no from Michael, but uh, a yes from Claude as a recovery stock in that cinema area. Uh, Propel Funerals a no from both. And Baby Bunting is uh, a no from Michael and a hold from Claude. Now, uh, the call is uh, tracking its own portfolio. Any stock that gets unanimous approval from our experts on that particular day goes into the portfolio. And over, let's see how it's performing. Over the last week, up uh, just over a percent for the month, 12%. And since the 1st of July, almost 25%. Uh, looking at some of the stocks that have been added recently to the portfolio by our expert panel, uh, Elders, Treasury Wine, Ampol, South32, Redbubble, Elmo, Software and Credit Clear. Some of the stocks taken out. AUB Group and Megaport. And today, Baby Bunting goes out because it was previously in there um, and has now been taken out because uh, Michael is a no and, uh, and Claude is a hold on it. Now, if you want to check out all of the stocks and ETFs in the portfolio, head to wasbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Uh, coming up on the pulse, uh, just after one o'clock, uh, Stephen Wood from Iger Capital takes us through his three small cap stocks that are making waves right now. So Stephen Wood from Iger Capital has got great three great small caps that you should be looking at at the moment. That's at 120 here on Ausbiz. All right, let's get into uh, the second five stocks of the call today. And uh, Claude, um, Joe wants a view on Whisper. Whisper is a software as a service platform, mainly for, for big corporate customers. Um, they provide templates for email, web and social media communication uh, internally through it. Results are hit by the, the, the COVID crisis, solid first quarter um, uh, results um, and earnings for uh, announced just a couple of weeks ago. Share price still sort of eased a bit to, despite some encouraging news there. Yeah, that's right. And I guess that is the that's the real story that you don't see in the headline numbers. So to um, just give a little background, uh, so I do own shares in Whisper and this is one that I actually, one of the few ones actually got right and like just absolutely went into that right when the COVID thing hit because um, when you get those automated test texts, say, oh, your Woolworths delivery is coming or, <clears throat> you know, the AGL guys coming to read the meter and stuff like that, all of those automated flows, especially if it's like, you know, press uh, reply yes if you're going to be home or something, yep. uh, like from Australia Post, that is using um, Whisper systems to wow. automate those um, messages. So you can see that this is going to be a growth industry, um, probably just absent COVID, there's going to be more people with this. Now, Whisper's not the only people that can provide this sort of service, and they obviously just connect the, their customers with the actual underlying um, providers that give that connectivity. But, you know, they're in a good space, and um, they have been managing to grow pretty steadily. And basically, you know, what happened to cause this share price to go down? Well, basically, they did some good results. You know, they, they're a COVID beneficiary in some senses. Mm. And then... Um, all of the shares came out of escrow from like the CEO, the founder, the some of the uh, venture right. capitalists that backed it. That came out of escrow. 
and then they absolutely um, just dumped that on the market or a bunch of shares on the market about 380 at about 380 and it has not recovered since then so it's just been a massive uh, bit of liquidity into the market there which is not managed to absorb yet hence why it's come down to 320 i um you know i took a little bit of profits before they came out of escrow because i thought that something like this might happen um and now i'm just bunkering down and holding the rest uh, we need to see that supply uh, get absorbed by potential buyers and then some good results and it should go up now the one problem I have with Wispy right now is that they've sort of changed tack a little bit and they're going to um, invest more heavily in the USA now. So, you know, the cynic in me isn't absolutely thrilled that, you know, they had one story, they sold shares, and now, now they've got another story that requires more spending. The way I see it is if they are up spending to try and crack into the US, then they're going to need to probably raise capital again. That means right. issuing more shares. That means even more supply of shares onto the market, which means that I'm very, very... Uh, conservative about any hope for near-term share price gains. Having said that, I think this is a decent business in the right space. If they do succeed in their US expansion, then I can see it going a fair bit higher. So it's a little bit risky. I maybe like lean towards like a hold like now rather than right. buying anymore. I'd probably need it cheaper to buy. And I'm sort of happy I sold some, maybe wondering if I should have sold more. But I think it's a good company. I'm happy to mm. hold some for the long term. Okay, Michael? Uh, it's a business that I was first made aware of on Ausbiz probably a few months ago um, when the share price was going berserk. Uh, yep. It was up around sort of $5 or so and I couldn't give it a, a buy at that point. Uh, it's since come back a long way and it's starting to look quite interesting because this is the type of company that we would like to invest in. Um, basically, it's got a growing customer base, a very stable customer base. It's got founder involvement, which we still, even despite the recent sell down, is still quite, quite high and something that we like in businesses, it's got very high margins, very high quality customers as well, AGL, BHP, mm. Woolworths, these sorts of businesses. Um, so I think there is merit in this company um, long term. It's just a matter of it finding a bit of a base at the moment and starting for that momentum to pick up. Because the software is very easy to use. It's not only really big companies that can use it. It's sort of low code, no code software, which is right. drag and drop, very user friendly with the mm. systems that you've got. Uh, which means that really the mar target market's any business that's looking to communicate directly with its customers. So from that perspective, we think it's quite good. Uh, the revenue retention rate is above 100%, which means existing customers are spending more and more money over time. Their cash conversion is, mm. is very good and, and uh, customer receipts are very good. So all those key metrics uh, and the scalability of this business all attracts us to it. Uh, the fact that it is now looking to expand over into the US is a little bit of a, a negative, we think, in the short term, just because they're just starting to get a lot of runs on the board, build some good momentum, and now they're taking on a big and enormous market. Yep. And you know, there's the history is littered with Australian companies that have failed in their expansion overseas, and it will take more capital. So we are interested. It's just a matter of pulling the trigger. And for now, we're just happy to sit on our hands. Right. Okay. But something to watch. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, well, if that's in your wheelhouse, uh, what about Limeade? Um, Liam wants yeah. a, a view on that. This is, again, another software business for enterprise customers, for, for business customers. Um, looks at employee well-being and, uh, and employee experience within uh, and engagement within an organisation. Yeah. Uh, relatively new business. Uh, yeah. or newly listed. So this one's a, a newer company. Yeah. Um, so it probably hasn't got the runs on the board as much as say a whisper just yet. But it seems to have some merit in terms of what they're doing. And there's certainly a lot of interest from, from boards and, and management teams in terms of keeping customer, not customer satisfaction, worker satisfaction yeah. high yeah. Uh, and worker engagement high and those sorts of things. So that plays into that modern theme, particularly in a, in a day and age where people are changing jobs every couple of years, uh, this is something that would, I think, be quite beneficial to a lot of companies in terms mm. of staying on top of morale, etc. So, Particularly when you've got remote, yeah. more remote employees too. That's right. So I think there's some merit in this company. It's just too early stage at the moment, too recent listing. Yep. But again, one to keep an eye on because it does have the, the economics of the companies that we kind of like to invest in. Um, yep. Recurring revenue theme, software as a service, relatively inexpensive for companies to take up. Uh, although at this stage, they're looking to target bigger companies over time, they'll be able to expand yeah. that really across the workforce. But I think they need to prove themselves yeah. first. I just read in this morning about uh, Salesforce uh, taking over Slack. 
Ah, yeah, I did it. Uh, we briefly. used Slack here at Osbys and at Pinstripe, and uh, <laughs> that's our communication yeah. tool between uh, between staff. Just a huge market that is highly valued yeah. at the moment. Claude, what, what do you think of Limeade? Um, I think I think Limeade's pretty interesting, actually. So it's one that I keep an eye on. I don't have um, any shares in it at the moment, um, and I'll tell you why in a second. But basically, you know because they have this sort of essentially the software service and um, because they're growing at some point their economics can look quite good and um, I think that they're trading on uh, around about uh, let me just say uh, less than 10 times about nine times annualized recurring revenue from the top of my head so that's not too expensive and it, it has come down a bit uh, but the thing that really excites me about Limeade, which is why I'm watching it so closely, is because at a cash flow level, it's sort of operating at around break even. So, you know, last quarter mm. it lo it lost a little on a cash flow level. This quarter it gained a little on a on a cash flow level. But that basically, to me, is good evidence that at maturity this is probably going to be a profitable business, which makes me really interested in it. And um, yeah, look, the reason that I don't own it at this point is just because I'm not confident in the price at this point and i'm not conf confident in the product being some sort of really market leading uh product now that doesn't mean it can't do really well it's just that generally speaking um when you're in a crowded software space as these guys are because there are plenty of competitors you really want to see some sort of evidence like why there's a competitive advantage that they have against somebody else and that's the part of the puzzle that's missing for me at the moment otherwise it's an interesting one it's one I'm watching and, and, and I'd be yeah. open to buying it either if the share price went down or if I got more excited about the product. Okay, all right, there you go, Liam. Uh, both Michael and, uh, and Claude watching this one looks a, a really interesting company. Um, Claude, uh, Lena wants to know if you're, if you're watching Freedom Foods. Uh, it's been, <laughs> been in all sorts of pain. Uh, has it recently backflipped on its profit announcement and uh, uh, has come out with a whole heap of write downs and uh, went into a trading hold. ASIC or investigation, it's just in a world of pain. Yeah, it is. I mean, this is a this is a terrible company and a terrible stock and, and, and has has a track record of that is just that should have any equity analyst very cautious saying nice things about it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely only scratch the surface of the stuff they have on this, but you know, before it went into, um, before it went into trading halt, what you can do is you can actually buy like the uh, financials for the private companies that are like related parties that deal with this, and you can see their profits going up and up, whilst um, Freedom don't, that hasn't been going up. So already right then, you just have to wonder, you know, if I bought shares in this, how like is management and the board are they really caring heaps about minority shareholders and i definitely could not be confident about that and i think yeah. the fact that they've been in suspension and they've had this complete blow up just shows how much you know what what has happened to those minority shareholders are getting a, a very very stern lesson in why you really need to delve into uh, uh yeah. management and 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 what might happen there and then the second thing is don't forget and this will be the giveaway to anyone several years ago these are the guys that sold out a2 milk i think at a, at a, at a share price of a dollar like, they didn't want that so i don't know why you'd be buying shares in the company that got rid of a2 milk at a dollar um just makes no sense to me I'm very yeah. very surprised as a listed company extremely surprised anyone wants to hold shares in it but you know each their own strong sell from me yep my yeah, God. I'll agree. It's the, definitely that, you know, that time that you sold a stock and you look back five years later and it's gone yeah. up, you know, 10 times. That's exactly the case with Freedom um, Foods. Their share price would be many, many multiples where it is today just by holding that stake uh, in A2 milk. But yeah. they were meant to be having a few tailwinds. I mean, for once, costs had fallen in a lot of their, um, dist in a lot of their suppliers or, or their, their inputs, if you like. Milk prices had come down, the drought had lifted. Yeah. And that was all meant to be a bit of a, a tailwind for Freedom Foods. And then despite that, they still weren't able to, to capitalize. Um, and they've got a, a number of different products, you know, so many different products that it's very hard to keep on top of all of those uh, and to keep them all successful. Uh, they'll have one good update about how they've got one of their brands into McDonald's, whether or not that's yeah. even a net positive over time, who knows, given the, the margins are probably very, very tight. 
Um, so it was never a business that attracted me. Even now, if you wanted to get into it, you couldn't. And if yeah. you wanted to get out of it, you couldn't. And you couldn't. can't. Yeah, you're and basically locked in. You're basically locked in. And it's been suspended now for almost six months. Yeah. Uh, it gets less and less likely every day that the outcome is going to be a good one the longer it's in yeah. this and suspension. So I will be steering clear. If it reopened, I'll be getting yeah. out if I was in it. And there, so there were some media reports of... Um, uh, bonuses being paid without board approval and things yeah, like that. Stuff. So it's governance stuff that you've got to be careful of. Yeah. Uh, Simon wants a view, uh, Michael, on Telex uh, Pharmaceuticals. It has a range of uh, radio pharmaceuticals and also oncology uh, products um, in that renal, prostate, and, and brain cancer area. Um, recently announced, uh, only in the last week or so, to buy a Swiss German biotech company called Therapharm. Yep. So it's a late stage biotech uh, in many ways. It's not a tiny company over a billion dollars market cap. Uh, It seems like it could be moving down the same path as CSL when it comes to cell um, and and gene therapeutics. Um, So just had a great run. So yeah, I think that um, lots therapeutics, sorry therapies. Um, I think this is a a one that does have merit if you wanted exposure to a a biotech company that has a lot of late stage. programs underway and clinical trials underway uh, and they seem to be pretty active in terms of acquiring businesses that they can bolt on they've got agreements with different companies as well um, the company that ended up picking up Certex a couple of years ago they recently entered an agreement with but for mine it's a very still a high risk proposition but they've had a good stream of good news recently which has put a rocket under the share price yeah. so they'll need to deliver uh, over time to, to justify these prices, but they seem like they're on the right path as far as a biotech goes. Put it this way, I'd rather invest in this one than some of the earlier stage single product biotechs that are out there. So what, you'd wait for a pullback from this? Uh, I just don't know or... enough about right. the company. It is quite complex, the number of different yep. um, clinical trials that they've got going, the number of different companies they've acquired recently, uh, some of the FDA approvals that they've got now to to yeah. provide their product to some of the universities in the US. All of that means something, but for someone like me with very limited understanding yeah. of these things and not enough time to look into it, I'll be steering clear just because okay. there's a knowledge gap, basically. Yep. Uh, Claude? Yeah, I think Michael's put it all very well, and, and I agree with all of that. I, I sort of, I might add that I wonder, I wonder, you know, why retail investors are so keen on investing in these kind of companies where it's very hard to understand exactly what they do and what their prospects are. So basically, uh, my con- my concern here is that I don't understand. I have no way of guessing the probability of uh, whether these guys will be profitable. Now, I quite like the CEO of this company, and I suspect that his involvement with it has really helped um, them have a good reputation in the market and, and do, you know, have really good share price performance. I'm sure they're making progress with the science as well. But there's another company called Factor Therapeutics who the same CEO I think was on the board of, and they had some bad results and the share price just went down about 90% in a day or something. And that wasn't his <laughs> fault and that's no one's fault, but that is the nature of the yeah. risk when you do these high risk stuff. Now, I'm not saying yeah. that will happen with Telex, it probably won't, but this is, I don't know if it will happen or not. And unless Simon is like sort of a, in the field of medical research and maybe he can understand it better than me, I just generally steer clear of this because of the old thing about knowing where your circle of competence is. Unfortunately, yep. that's just outside of my circle of confidence, so so I steer clear. Okay. All right, and our final stop we need to uh, get through reasonably quickly. Uh, suggestion from Jill. Simic uh, Group, the old Leighton's Holdings, big construction um, in that mining and mineral processing, engineering type area across uh, 20 countries. Uh, Claude, what do you think of Simic? I can be quick on that. I, I would basically just uh, avoid this one um, for, for two reasons. Uh, one, we have uh, just a situation where naturally this kind of business is not what I look for. So it's capital intensive. Uh, you need to spend a lot of money to make money. Then, then, then you hope that demand for whatever you've invested in stays up. Um, so there's that. It's difficult. Now, these guys are big. That gives them scale. That can be an advantage. Fair enough if that's your game. It's totally not my game to invest in these big capital intensive businesses. And the second thing is, um, it wasn't that long ago, uh, just last year, that these guys got hit by, um, you know, a short selling report from GMT Research that was basically saying, you know, the accounting is very aggressive. And as with corporate travel management, it has not regained those levels Mm. previously, right? So yeah, a short seller doesn't have to 
actually bury a company to be proved correct. Generally yeah. speaking, if, if the share price drops 50% and then stays down a year later, I would say that probably the short seller had a point and, yeah. and for those reasons, I would avoid it. Yep, Michael? Complicated businesses, yeah. uh, the, in the business of risk management really, they're trying to identify the probability that the cost of developing that or delivering that project will blow out or not. If there's a small blowout in costs, it can really undermine earnings for the whole company. Um, they've had some board issues or changes at executive level as well. So this company needs to deliver profitability um, to, yeah. to deliver certainty in the market and that's just not going to come back overnight. Very complex, lumpy businesses, they're going to have a lot of work in hand, but fixed length contracts, fixed cost contracts are very hard to, to make money consistently. So for mine, it's a, a no-go. Yep. Okay. All right, let's recap the uh, final five stocks as we bring the call to uh, an end for this uh, for this Wednesday. Uh, whisper a hold from uh, uh, from Claude. Um, my, it's on Michael's watch list. Uh, the same with Limeade. Um, good company watch. Let's see whether it proves itself going forward. Uh, definite no if you're stuck in Freedom Foods. Uh, bad luck because you, you can't get out and you wouldn't even look at it at the moment. You can't get into it. Uh, Telex Pharmaceuticals, a no from both because of its complexity uh, and a no from Simic. Um, so that's our the call for this Wednesday. Uh, Claude Walker from A Rich Life, uh, appreciate your time. What have you been looking at uh, on the uh, A Rich Life website? Uh, well, I haven't actually published a whole lot since I, uh, uh, not to the public facing website anyway, since uh, since we looked at Alcidian, which is a little healthcare stock, which obviously does um, fit right in, in where I like to invest, which is yeah. like software stuff. But I've got a, I've got a few reports coming out uh, this weekend and I've been looking at some um, promising microcaps, so you can keep an eye yeah. out for that. Yeah, yeah, so keep wandering through a rich life. Uh, subscribe as well. Uh, Michael Wayne from Adanium Financial, good to see you. Mate. Thank you for having me. Yeah. See you in a couple of weeks. Always great to have you on board now. If that's our show for today. If you'd like any stocks to uh, for our expert panel to analyse, send through your suggestions, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. A reminder for all the uh, stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And if you want a full wrap up of the day of what's happened every day in business and finance and startups uh, and the economy, Scuddy and Nadine give their views and particularly important today with the national accounts coming out. It's all in your inbox at 5.30 this afternoon. Subscribe at osbiz.co slash join. And the Startup Daily Show, uh, the team brings you the company seeking capital and all the latest in the startup sector. Uh, today they're joined by uh, Bodium Ride founder Michaela Fellner as she launches a crowdfunding campaign to fuel growth uh, in her business. It's a fascinating business. Uh, she's just one of the many founders that are joining the team on the Startup Daily Show between 2 and 3 this afternoon. So a lot happening on Ausbiz this afternoon. You don't want to miss any of it. Uh, we'll be back after the break.